seated. Good morning to you all. My name is Maurice. I am the associate teaching pastor here. Uh, I get the awesome opportunity of communicating and uh, continuing to build relationships amongst every generation and within every generation. And so if you are new here this morning, I welcome you. Thank you so much for being here, especially if your first time was at our kickoff weekend a few weekends ago. We do not have a camel this morning. We don't have a petting zoo this morning, but we thank you for joining us again. We do promise always to have donuts and a good time, donuts and a good time for you. So thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Before I get started, I have a few guests in town. Maybe you walked in this morning and you thought to yourself, there is a few more black people here this morning. Those, um, I'll say it for you, don't worry, I'll say it for you. Some of you are thinking to yourself, Sally, I wasn't gonna say anything, but there were, there were some few more black people in here this morning. Those will be my parents this morning, coming all the way from California. Those are my amazing parents from California. Um, and so they've been in here uh, since a few days now, probably I think Thursday, uh, we went to the jazz lounge, down, uh, jazz lounge down in Denver and we had an amazing time. Um, so if you wanna go ahead and greet them after, that's totally fine, but uh, let them know that you are taking care of their son, all right? Um, uh, before I get started along this, those lines, uh, me and my wife this fall, I gotta make this shameless plug real quickly, me and my wife are hosting a class around racial reconciliation. And so I want you guys to know that this class that we're doing is uh, really close to our hearts, and we really know and we see in Scripture that it's close to God's heart. And so if you're interested in that, if you're thinking about that, uh, really look into that, because I believe that even if it does not directly affect you, it does affect every single one of us, um, whether you recognize it or not or whether it's on your radar or not. And this is not one of those ambiguous topics. This is something that Jesus talked about lots of times, that the Bible talks about uh, a lot of times. And we're going to have an honest conversation and discussion around that where everyone can step in from all walks of life and talk about this particular topic. We've been talking about this particular topic for quite some time, for centuries and for decades now, but it is not one that we grow weary in doing. So if you are interested in that, go ahead and uh, either email me or check out our Next Steps table that will have more information about that. Uh, this morning, we are in a series, like Bill said, around the uh, entire topic of surprise them. We look at the Bible and we see so often how Jesus uses a surprise factor, especially in the life of Jesus, how he continues to surprise people with his extravagant love, the way he does things. And we're looking and we said to ourselves, maybe that's a mission that we can all step into. And what would it look like if we all stepped into that? So we decided to make it a series and to make it something that we look to doing ourselves. Um, We have something on your seats, or maybe you're handed a bulletin. If you will go ahead, there's a uh, place on the back. If you're a note taker, go ahead and write this in there. If you're not, go ahead and put it in your phone or mentally do it. But on the back, it says, who will you be willing to surprise? I just want you to think of one name. Who who would be one name? Um, And it'll make sense later on, but I just want you to think of one name. If this person was here with me this morning, sitting right next to me, my day would be made. My year would be made. This would be awesome. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family. They don't have to be in Colorado, but just think of one name, write it down mentally or take notes on that uh, bulletin and it'll all make sense a little bit later, all right? Uh, This morning, I am talking about an awesome interaction that Jesus has with this guy named Peter. And I am charged with this task as I've been studying, as I've been looking at this, of what God does, how does God see us? Well, what is his perspective when he looks at us? And I want to talk around the topics of identity and how he 
puts, uh, chooses to identify us and has an identity around who we are. And so I'm going to talk about those topics, and I want to talk about where and why. Where and why. We're talking about identity, but where and why. And those things will make sense a little bit later. But as I was thinking about this, I came up with this scripture, or I came across this scripture in the Bible. This is Matthew chapter 16. Chapter 16, and this is talking about identity. This is Jesus and Peter having an awesome interaction. Check this out. Now, when Jesus came into the city of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter jumps up and replies, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood, no human intervention has revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You are the living Christ, the Messiah. Peter jumps up and answers strongly, confidently with this bold answer and this right answer. And as I thought about that right answer, it made me think about a story that I want to tell you this morning. And I want a little bit of insight about who Maurice is. Uh, it reminded me about a time in, middle, uh, excuse me, in high school, my ninth grade year. Now, my ninth grade year, as soon as I got to high school, was not the best. I went into high school. It was awesome. And, uh, but I was not the best at homework and tests. So instead of applying myself, I was young and dumb. And I just became a notorious cheater when it came to academics. And so some of you are staring at me. Some of you are looking at me like, why are we listening to this guy? You have cheated sometimes before on your academics, probably. I don't know. College students, you probably do it. I don't know. But I became uh, notorious at this. And so I had a few methods that I got down packed. I'm going to share a few methods with you this morning. Uh, one of those methods was the water bottle method. And as I'm sitting here, my parents are looking at me crazy probably because every time I talk, they're, it's a new story to them as well. Like, baby... What in the world were you doing? So know, to know that as well. But I, it was the water bottle method. I had the water bottle and the outer lining, whether it was Aquafina, Purefina, whatever it was, I would rip off, write the answers on there, and then tape it back on so I would have it at my desk. And all I had to do was just kind of rotate it to have my answers. Right? I remember one time I went as far as having shorts, and right above my shorts I'll have the answers just written, like answer tattoo, just right here. Well, one of my most famous ones that I felt I was so flawless at was I befriended this guy who was really smart. And we had a math class together all of ninth grade year. It worked every single time. We would get together and we would sit next to each other. He was the smart kid. So the teacher would hand out the blank piece of paper. This is ninth grade. And as soon as we got the blank piece of paper, he would rush through the test, write down all the answers, and then give me his and I'll give him the blank one. Because he knew the answers. He didn't have a problem taking it again. Right? So he was a smart guy. And I was just like, hey, you know what? You are the homie. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. So this worked flawlessly until the summer of ninth grade year. Our plan was no match for Mr. Maya's summer school math class. So my Mr. Maya, this is the same uh, situation. We're like, hey, this works every time. We do it again. Everything is fine. We turn in our tests. We get it back. And we, I, I, for some reason, I get the infamous, this is the universal, you just fail. When they do this right here, when they hand it to you like that, the teachers know what I'm talking about. Everybody hand it out like this, good job, good job, and then you get yours like this. That's that universal, that's that universal, you just failed. So I got a big fat F, 
And I'm looking at my people like, there is no way that I felt this. And I'm looking at my, my friend like, homie, you didn't. And he's like, nah, I got an A on mine. Like, I'm good. And so, and I'm like, this is crazy. So I go up to Mr. Maya, and I'm talking to him. And I go with a little ammo because I'm like, I looked at Kylie's test. She got the same answers as me. I looked at Charlie's test. He got the same answers as me. Why is it that I have not, like, why did I, why did I fail? And he has a smirk on his face. He looks at me. And he's as, as if he already knows what I'm up to. And he looks at me and he says, Maurice, this is math class. And having just the right answer is not enough. You got to show your work. You got to show your work. This morning, this thought came to me as I was writing this and as I was studying. Because Peter jumps up with a grand finale answer. But I want you to note and take note of, it is not about having the right answer. Is about how you got to the answer. The same words of Mr. Maya's summer school class, it is not just about the right answer, but how you got to the right answer. Now, sometimes we do this in regular life. If you go in for an interview, all you are thinking, I don't know if you're like me, but all you're thinking is, if I can say the right thing, if I can say what they want to hear, I'm going to be just fine. So some of you are students are in the room, whether you're middle school, high school, whether, whatever it may be, you do this all the time. You're playing Fortnite, your parents are in the room, and you're like, if I can just say the right answer, mom will leave me alone. Like, they'll get out of, like, my guy just said it right here. He, they'll get out of my room. And so they're looking for the right answer. All you want to do is just, what can I say to, that they want to hear that is the right answer? Some of you, you are spouses. Go ahead and look forward because you're sitting right next to them. You do this in arguments, and you're like, if I can just say the right thing to end it all, whatever it's going to be, just so they can be done. I can just say the right answer. I want this to be over with. We do it all the time. If I can just say the right answer, then everything will be fine. But, but I want us to take note of when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to this thing that we call the Christian world, things are a little bit different. It's not just about the right answer. It's about how you got to the right answer. And I say that and I bring that up because I look at not only what Peter did, but there's another group of people, religious group of people called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were ones that read the Bible all the time. They read the Bible for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They just, I just want to read the Bible. That's it. And they just knew it back and forth. They could tell you anything. They could give you any answer that you wanted. And they were full of all the right answers. But these are the same people that Jesus warned us not to be like. So I see Peter and I see the Pharisees. And the thing for me is that the difference between Peter and the Pharisees was Peter was not only looking for the right answer, but he was reaching for right relationship. The difference between Peter and the Pharisees was Peter was reaching for right relationship. That's the missing element. Right answer is fine and dandy, but is right relationship coupled with right answer. And this brings me to where we are in the scripture because the temptation to give the right answer is the very thing that the disciples were faced with. And for the next few moments, I want to talk about how Jesus gets us to the right answer, not just it's being about all the right. It's not just about being, having the right answer. And so as I talk about that, I want to talk about two things. Before I get into those two things, remember, I said I want to talk about the where and the why. Before I get to the why, I got to discuss where. The Bible says that they have entered Caesarea of Philippi. Now, if you study and you look at this, this is a 
place where it was a very huge pagan culture. This was a very, this was a, a place that had tons of statues. You would walk into this place and you'll see a huge statue of Zeus. And then you'll walk a little bit further and then there's a big temple of Athena. Then you walk a little bit further and then they have Caesar and it's an all gold statue. And then people are worshiping and sitting at these idols and standing there. And I want to get to those two things real quickly. But before I do that, I got to make point of where this is taking place. Caesarea of Philippi has idols and all these things around it. And I just want you to go there in your mind's eye with me. Jesus is walking with his disciples. They enter into this city. And the disciples are probably a few paces ahead of Jesus. They're walking. They probably just had some Chick-fil-A because that is God's restaurant. <laughs> so they're eating their burger. They got ketchup on their, on their face. They're chuckling and they're laughing. They're probably a few paces ahead of Jesus they're probably up there, they're talking about how CU rolled over CSU in the Rocky Mountain Showdown. They're probably having, yeah, there you go, they're probably having conversations about Aretha Franklin's funeral and John McCain's funeral, how those were two awesome people and, and how they were on the same day and how they had awesome cultures. And they're probably talking about life right now. They're talking about concerts. They're laughing. And Jesus is looking at the scene. Jesus is looking at what's around him. And as they're walking in this city, He's looking at the idols and the temples and him being God in human form. He, he gets up to a place, they probably walk a few more blocks, and he sits them down and he asks them this question, who do you say that I am? Not only is this an awesome question to ponder, but it's a question to ponder where did he ask it? Because he's in the midst of idols. He's in the midst of everything that is pulling at everyone's attention. But yet, he says, who do, I, who do you say that I am in this context? I want to put that out there to us this morning. Who do you say Jesus is when culture is pulling at you, when you have uh, society trying to shape your identity, when Instagram and Snapchat is telling you what you should be and who you should look like? Who do you say that I am in the midst of other idols, other gods trying to reach for your attention and shape who you are? Who do you say that I am in that context? Not, not only is it the where this is taking place, and he sits him down and asks him this question, but he asks him this question because two chapters before this, chapter 14, they have a huge storm. Jesus is on the water. The boat, the boat is filling up with water. They're losing faith. They're losing hope. They feel like they're about to die. Jesus calms the storm, steps on the boat, and all of them say, you are the son of the living God. So they had the right answer in chapter 14 already. But if we be honest, in life, when our back is against the wall, when there's nothing else to do, it's a little bit easier to send up a Hail Mary. It's a little bit easier to call on Jesus when there's nothing else. I haven't talked to you in 10 years, but God, if you get me out of this one. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer before? I prayed that a few times. God, if you get me out of this one, I promise I'll serve you and follow after you. Two days later, I'll probably fall off, not really follow after him, right? But he's asking that. In chapter 14, they say you are the son of the living God, but how about when everything's going right in life? When finances are okay, when children are awesome, when life is going amazing, when things are all together, the dots are connecting, do I still say who he is in that context? 
I want you to know the God of chapter 14 is the same God of chapter 16 who desires for you to know him and for, desires for you to thank him not only when life is good, not only when life is bad, but at all times. He says, who do you say that I am? That's the where. It's in Caesarea of Philippi. And as you leave here today, I want you to think about your own Caesarea of Philippi. Maybe your Caesarea of Philippi is at work. Maybe your Caesarea of Philippi is when you get home from work and all you got to do is you're just on social media. I'm probably talking to millennials right now. And all you can do is scroll and you find, wake up and you look at like, wow, I've been on the computer or on social media for the last two, three hours. Maybe, maybe your Caesarea of Philippi is not just at work, but maybe, maybe you're a coach or maybe you, you, you do some extra, extracurricular activities and your Caesarea of Philippi, the place that pulls for your attention away from God. Where is that place in my life? As you leave here today, I want you to think about where is my Caesarea of Philippi. Not only do I want you to think about that, I want you to think about the two things that I want to bring up because we talked about the where, but why does Jesus ask, who do you say that I am? I want to read the scripture for you one more time. He says this, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter jumps up, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I want you to look at Jesus' answer, and that's what we're going to focus on for the next few moments. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When I was young and I had just got into talking about Jesus, talking about the Bible, I was all about right answers. I was the one that would get in arguments because I had the right answer. I thought I had the right answer. And it was all about giving people the right answers, debating people, giving them the right answers, arguing, giving them the right answers. And the two things that I see in this scripture that God shows us when it comes to his interactions with Peter one of those is this. God wants us to open our hearts and allow him to define who we are. Open our hearts and allow him to define who we are. I think it's in this moment that Peter just doesn't jump up with the right answer, but he also allows God to define who he is. I get that because he says, my father has revealed this to you. You didn't get this from another podcast. You didn't get this from another book, another intellectual professor, another intellectual preacher. You allowed your heart to be opened so that I can define who you are. And I want to let you know this morning that long before your parents came up with your name, long before you had a name, you had an identity. Long before your parents thought they were so creative and coming up with your name and thought they had a, a cool meaning behind it. Yeah. Oasis, it means whatever, I don't know. <laughs> Long before those moments in the hospital when you were born, Jesus had an identity for you. And it's when Peter opens up his heart that he now shows Peter who he is. He says, Peter, yes, you've answered me right. That's fine and dandy. You said I was a son of the living God in chapter 14. You said it today. Those are good things. But now let me show you who you are. Let me define who you are. And I believe it's in this moment when he says, you, Simon Peter, 
Your name is now Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. You're just not any old rock that people pick up and skip across the water. You're a rock with purpose. You're a rock that has meaning. You're a rock that I want to have some, uh, I want you to do, I want to do something with, and I have a purpose and a plan for your life. Whether you figure that out today or whether you figure that out at the age of 50, I have a plan for your life, and your identity matters to me. What I love about Jesus is that he does not define who we are apart from him. In the meaning, in the meaning, excuse me, in the, uh, the time frame of defining Peter, he also says, don't forget, you're just not any old person. You're just not any old Peter. You are Peter and the rock that I'm going to build my church on. Number one, we allow him to define us. Number two, I believe that we should open our hearts and allow God to define who he is. So many times we can go to many places for definition. We can go to so many places trying to figure out who he is. And don't get me wrong, intellect is amazing and God gave us a brain for a reason, trust me. But it goes so far to the place that he now says, open your heart. You got a ton of knowledge. You got a ton of things up here that you've been studying me and watching tons of documentary. Now open your heart and allow me to define me and I'll show you who I am. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father has revealed this to you. This has come not from any book, not from any experience, because experience is good, but experiences, they come and they go. Have you allowed God to come in and define who you are and who he is? And I believe it's in these moments when you talk about surprise, when you talk about surprising neighbors and surprising a city, I believe it's in these moments that when we get identity from God, who we are, I believe it's out of that place that we'll begin to overflow of extravagant love. It is from the place of who we are that schools begin to see how amazing Jesus is. It is from the place of identity that we can flow and show on patience and kindness and love and long-suffering that we can show the people around us the place and the awesomeness of Jesus. It is from our identity that that takes place. It's not something that we have to do a lot of work for. It's not something that we got to fight for, but it's the place of having identity that I believe schools will be blessed, that cities will be blessed. I believe our marriages will look better when we flow from a place of who we are in Christ, who has God called us to be. And when we open our hearts, when we let him do the defining, some of you are in this room and some of you have been walking with God and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I've followed after God, I've let him define me and I he is who he says he is. I, I believe both of those things. Sometimes we can get so caught up though that we remember the God of chapter 14 and think that he's still the same person that's in chapter 16. He is the same God, but he wants to show you another side. Maybe you've known God to be a healer in your life. And he's looking, in this season, I actually want to be a father to the fatherless in your life. In the old season, you, you've, you've known me, and you've experienced me to be a way maker, but you've had some tough times, and I want to show you how I'm a provider in this season of life. 
To those of you who follow God and say that you're a Christian, you do not have him figured out. And there is more to him that he desires to show you. You've known me in one chapter of your life. You've known me in one season of your life. But there is more that I desire to show you. There is more of me that you need to see. So as you leave here this morning, I want us to be thinking about that. I want us to be thinking, have we allowed our hearts to be open for God to define us and for God to define God? Not only that, as we leave here today, I want you to be thinking about if I move from a place of identity, if I live from a place of identity, how will my kids be affected? How will my marriage look different if I live out of my identity? How will my, my, my coworkers be affected if I live out of my identity? A little bit earlier, I told you to write down one name or to think about one name or to mentally take note of one name, one person that you would be satisfied if they were here this morning with you. Sometimes it can be a little daunting to think about surprising a city and surprising a world and surprising an elementary. This morning, I want you to start with one. And this week, I want you to think about that. Who will I surprise? What is the one person that I can, I can come to God and I can live from my identity and who I am and I can surprise just one? Maybe it's a phone call to an old friend who you know would be so blessed if you just reached out to them. And just told them you want to catch up with them. Maybe it's a coworker and you do something simple and surprise a coworker. Maybe it's one person. Maybe you start with your family. Maybe it's your child. And you start at home and you say, one person that I just want to surprise, that I just want to do something with and how I can live from my identity. Maybe it's that child. Maybe, maybe it's a friend. Maybe you go as far as you were in the education system and it's your principal, it's your boss. You do a surpri- something to surprise and go out of your way to live from who you are. And I believe that if we do that, how will our city look different if we all took on the mission of stepping into another person's life and starting with one? I think it's bigger than what we think. I think if we all step into that, not only would our city look different, not only will our states look different, not only will our nation look different, I think God has a plan for the world. And if we step into this and have a vision around surprising just one, I think marriages would be better. I think the type of fathers that we would be would be much better. I think the type of coworker that we would be would dramatically change the people and who we are and all the things that are around us. And we don't just do it for a response because maybe you're going to try to surprise somebody this week and you're like, well, that didn't have as much hype as I thought it was going to have. But you're moving from your identity. I'm going to pray for us and I'm, Becky, our worship leader, is going to lead us in another song, and I want you to be thinking as you leave here today, who is the one that I can start with? God has a plan for my life, and it has a lot to do with my identity. Now, who will I surprise from the place of my identity? God, thank you so much for every single person that's here this morning.
Thank you so much for giving us an identity and a calling and a blessing long before we were here on earth. Thank you, Father, for having a plan and a purpose for our life long ago. I pray, Father, for some that are in the room this morning that they discover what that is. I pray for others in the room that have been walking with you for some time that they discover another side of you. And I pray, Father, that it is in our identity. It is in who we are. It is in what you have placed inside of us, the Holy Spirit. It is from this place we can show people love and kindness and patience and long-suffering and extravagant love over the top. And as they experience that, Father, I believe that it, they will experience you. So as we leave here today, Father, let that one be on our hearts. Let that one be on our minds this week. And with much, with much hesitation, let us step into that. Let us take a swing at surprising one. Because I believe, Father, it's when we open up our hearts that we allow you to move in such a way that you can now take over. It's not from us, it's not from what we do, but it is from us allowing you space to move in our lives. I believe it's there, Father, that we will experience you like no other. It is there that we'll experience you like Peter experienced you, where he was able to hear his identity. And if nothing else, Father, I pray that they walk away this morning, every single one of us, Maybe they don't know all the things that comes with their identity, but I pray, Father, that they start with son and daughter and they move from that place in Jesus' name.